Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you very much for tuning in today for another great episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We've got a great show today, we've got a great guest today, and I, I titled this today an in-depth look at uh, virulent Newcastle disease, but we're also going to kind of dive into um, the vaccine, and there's just a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of bad information out there, uh, really ever since this outbreak started last year, and uh, we, we've tried to do our part here to get the right information out there, science-based, fact-based, study-based information. Um, we've had uh, poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist Dr. Maurice Pateski on the show a couple of times, specifically talking about um, the Newcastle disease. Um, we had two fantastic articles in the summer issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine, which, by the way, you can read uh, and subscribe to the digital edition for free over at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Um, one, uh, again, by Dr. Pateski, all about the disease itself, uh, virulent Newcastle disease, and then uh, a, a fantastic article by poultry scientist Dr. McRae and, and her colleagues of hers down at, at, at Auburn University about the response and, and why the response was the way it was and is the way it is, I guess. The outbreak's still going on, though. I don't believe there's been a confirmed case now uh, in probably close to a month. Um, and our guest today may have a little bit more accurate information about that. My understanding is that it has to be no um, – and again, this may <laughs> – I'm sure our guest today will correct me on this if I'm wrong uh, – maybe 120 days uh, since the last – um, positive um, test for, say, the uh, virulent Newcastle disease before they'll lift any um, 
any type of uh, quarantines and things like that. But we'll talk a little bit about today. My main goal today, uh, Dr. Pateski actually on the last show recommended our guest today, which is Dr. Rodrigo uh, Gallardo. And he's not only a um, doctor of veterinary medicine, but he's also a PhD uh, a virologist at UC Davis. And he has extensive training and really extensive experience dealing with uh, virulent Newcastle disease. And so, hey, he, uh, Dr. Pateski was like, this might be an absolutely wonderful guest to really clear up a lot of things since he's <laughs> knee deep in this all the time and has done extensive studies on this. So um, really looking forward to today's show. I hope you will too. Make sure you have that pen and paper available um, to, to write down notes. Uh, but if for some reason you miss something, no worries. The same link you clicked to listen to the live broadcast right now uh, is the same link uh, for you to listen to the archived edition. Probably just moments after the show, the live show ends, we will actually, the show will be archived into a podcast and you can listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So let me get right over here to the phone lines and we'll, uh, without delay, go ahead and bring on our guest today, Dr. Rodrigo uh, Gallardo. Uh, again, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine and PhD, virologist at UC Davis. Uh, welcome to the show, Doc. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hi, Andy. How are you? Thanks for the invitation. I am. Sure. I'm, I'm doing fabulous. Um, let's first start off with talking a little bit about yourself. Give our audience a little idea of uh, really your uh, educational credentials, which were absolutely impressive. And then a little bit about what you do at UC Davis, uh, your, kind of your, your everyday um, your job there, which, again, seems like it has to do a lot with our topic today. Sure. So uh, I'm a veterinarian. Uh, I, uh, I'm actually a poultry veterinarian. I'm certified by the American College of Poultry Vets. Uh, I did a PhD in molecular virology uh, in, in, in Auburn University, and I'm currently an associate professor at UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, I work with, with several viruses, uh, usually uh, viruses that have a genetic material RNA, so uh, Newcastle disease would be one, even influenza, infectious bronchitis virus. And uh, I work very closely with the industry on, on endemic diseases in poultry. That's fantastic. So we're so fortunate to, to have you on, on the show today. You know, I, I debated with myself to have you kind of go right into uh, talking about the disease itself, but we've done that. We've done that in detail with uh, Dr. Pateski. There's shows and there's articles uh, about that. Uh, we, of course, invite you to add anything that we, we may have a misunderstanding with as the show goes on, but really wanted to kind of tackle and try to get to as many of these questions um, as, as we can today. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to start addressing one or two, I've, I've got the... Uh, um, I believe I've got the list here in, in front of me. Let me get over here to Newcastle. And um, I will try to kind of kind of just go down the list. Uh, we gathered these from folks at, again, several different poultry groups and sites where um, we just see folks that have uh, – and a lot of times it comes from – you know, I attended this event a few months ago, and this is what I understood him to say, but yet it really kind of lost in translation, if you will. They threw through this person and that person and the next person and then them sharing it with a group. Uh, a lot of the information gets uh, uh, misunderstood and it's not shared correctly. So maybe we start off with just, you know, um, talking about oh, – jeez. Maybe start off with the vaccination. That, that kind of seems to create – 
uh, right now, at least the most questions that that are really out there. Um, should I, shouldn't I, and I've heard if I do, then we have all these other problems. So let me get down here and we'll just start off with, with a generic, uh, uh, maybe a vaccine question. Um, let me scroll down here and I will find it here. We've got some great ones as well. Um, okay. This is a great one to start off with. I think, um, the rumors going around that the current vaccine, are vaccines that are available right now for these folks, say, out in California to purchase that's available to them. Uh, this is a big thing that's going around. It's They aren't even um, for this particular strain of vir- virulent Newcastle disease that everybody's experiencing, that, that the outbreak is from. So maybe we can address that first, that, you know, because oh, we hear it, the vaccine uh, that's available now does no good on the strain that we're dealing with. So I'll let you address that one first. That's a biggie. Yeah, so uh, that that's, that's really simple. So uh, in viruses, uh, th- we have some viruses that have different kinds of types. Uh, this is not the case for Newcastle disease virus. In terms of antigens or, or, or immune response, uh, we have only one type of, uh, of Newcastle disease virus, and we call it serotype. So basically, okay. this virus is only one serotype, independent if it's velogenic or highly uh, uh, pathogenic, mesogenic or lentogenic uh, or low virulent. So uh, using a vaccine that is uh, low pathogenic, like the one that is available in the stores or in the market, you're able to tackle any of the of the of the uh, of the pathogenic versions of Newcastle disease virus. So so the answer is that the vaccines that are currently available are good to protect and actually reduce shedding in all the the, the, the types of Newcastle disease virus that we have so far. Now I would like to explain a little bit why we recommend vaccination and why vaccination is so important uh, mm-hmm. as a tool with uh, the depopulation of, of, of chickens that are positive. So, so the, uh, our country is, uh, is free of Newcastle disease virus, meaning that uh, of the velogenic version, meaning that uh, we uh, don't have the disease uh, 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 all the time. Um, if we, uh, so on the other hand, uh, we do vaccinate against it in, in the commercial world, meaning that there's a certain level of uh, population immunity. So our chickens are immunized and they have antibodies. So whenever the, the, the if the virus comes, we'll be in good shape in order to uh, uh, receive the virus. So the idea behind uh, controlling foreign animal diseases is to, uh, first of all, have a population immunity, and then secondly, to depopulate if we detect the, the, the disease. Why we need to have population immunity? That's mainly because it reduces the shedding of the virus. So if we have low shedding, we have less dissemination, and we can control it faster. So that's the idea behind uh, applying vaccination in order to control these diseases. Okay, the the commercial industry, I, I understand, and I'm not sure if it's nationwide or specifically out there in the California area. They have been, uh, as you just stated, I think, vaccinating for uh, the uh, Newcastle disease for many years now. It's nothing new to them. Yes, so that's correct, and we do it uh, because of the of the same premise. We uh-huh. we uh, and, and this is across states. So we vaccinate in order to keep a population immunity, and then having that population immunity that allows us to respond much faster and quicker whenever we see this disease in the field. 
Okay, perfect. Great explanation. Once vaccinated, and we'll we'll keep this term basically to the say the lay person out there that's got say a backyard flock. Once they vaccinate, here's a question right from this group: Will there be a need or a requirement for regular boosters, and how often? That's a great question. So what I see in the field, or when I go uh, into the response zone in in, in Southern California. Usually people uh, claim that they vaccinate, but they've done it only once in the life of the chicken. Well, that doesn't, uh, doesn't help. And, and the reason is that uh, whenever you have or you're combating a disease by vaccination, you need to uh, come up with a vaccination protocol. And that vaccination protocol requires the use of different vaccines or different tools. So we have, in general, live vaccines, which are actually a modified version of the real virus, uh, which is alive, and then we have killed vaccines, which are uh, a version that is killed from the same pathogen. So the the live vaccine will produce a, a, a normal response in the in the body that will generate antibodies in this case. But then you want those antibodies to persist throughout time because the live vaccine will generate the response, and then that response will disappear. So if you have it in a in a, in a vaccination plan with live and killed vaccines, that will allow you to have high antibodies that persists in time. So, uh, and this is focusing on, on, on Southern California because in particular for backyard poultry, we don't recommend vaccination uh, outside of the outbreak zone. Why is that? It's because usually uh, uh, it's not necessary. If you, if you care about biosecurity and you have dedicated shoes and clothes, it's very uh, unlikely that you will get a velogenic Newcastle disease virus. But anyhow, the vaccination protocol in Southern California requires at least two live vaccines, and then uh, hopefully uh, between one and 15 days of age, a second one live at four weeks of age, and then uh, the first killed vaccine at 10, at 10 weeks of age, and then every six months they should receive a killed vaccine. Live vaccines with live virus are applied uh, through the normal routes of infection, so that could be ocular or nasal, Kill vaccines are usually are injectable, and they are applied subcutaneously or in the breast mask. We've talked about vaccines on the show many times over the years, and one of the big concerns about poultry professionals, as yourself, as comes up all the time, is the possibility of the lay person not giving the vaccines correctly. And it always seems to come up that it can be a skill, it can be a challenge, if, if not done correctly based on the time from, from the, how long the vaccine is good, how is it stored, and then how it's actually uh, administered. Um, and so I, I guess you would concur with that, that um, if one is going to vaccine their own birds, backyard birds, maybe a, whatever the flock they have, uh, it would be paramount for them to get a very good understanding of how to deliver everything correctly every time. The first one, the second one, the third one, and then, of course, every six months to make sure they're doing that correctly so they're not um, doing it for moot, if you will. They're actually having success with the vaccine delivery. That, that's correct. So we, uh, I have the fortune to work outside the country, and, and uh, we, we, I deal with the with, uh, with Newcastle disease virus, velogenic Newcastle disease virus, or VNDV in, in Africa and in Central America. And, and they do have uh, severe problems with it. And one of the problems that they have is that they don't apply the vaccines correctly. 
So other than teaching them how to apply the vaccine, we also uh, incorporate this concept of, uh, of population immunity and also how to uh, come up with the vaccination program. There's a couple of things that are really important on this. The, the first one is the correct application of the vaccine. And there's tutorials online uh, on how uh -huh. you can do it, but the, but the common and the main uh, point is to have uh, an adequate reconstitution of the vaccine and then apply the vaccines appropriately uh, for live vaccines in the eye or in the nostrils, uh, and then uh, the killed vaccines in the in subcutaneous or intramuscularly. Live mm -hmm. vaccines usually come with a dye that you can check if there's effective vaccination after uh, after uh, inoculating them on their tongue. So that, that dye will be able to dye the tongue of the chickens. Uh, then the other thing that it's, that it's really important is, is how you maintain that vaccine throughout the process of vaccination. So being a live virus, if you reconstitute it, the virus will die in a, after one hour of being reconstituted. So basically you cannot use a couple of drops of the vaccine and then store it in the refrigerator and then use it for the next time. This vaccine will die off. Uh, and then the other thing is that you have to keep it on ice at all times. So the, 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 the temperature of your hand uh, might kill the vaccine in a period that is shorter than an hour. So, so the management of the vaccine is something really, really uh, uh, important. Same with killed vaccines. Even though they don't have to be cold, they need to be uh, at room temperature and they cannot be stored for a long period of time. So the other thing that is important is that, and, and, and some people have problems uh, understanding this, the vaccination doesn't make up for poor biosecurity or for, or for poor management. So if you vaccinate your chickens, but then you have a mess uh, in terms of management, you don't feed them appropriately, uh, you have lots of, uh, of, of uh, trash or, 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 or stuff that you don't clean, you don't, you don't have a, a cleaning and disinfection protocol, you don't clean the waters and drinkers periodically, those chickens won't respond well to the vaccine and, and actually uh, we have uh, research done here in California uh, that links poor biosecurity with uh, a higher amount of antibodies against these kind of diseases, Newcastle disease, AI, uh, and also infectious bronchitis virus. So, and, and it's so simple, uh, it's, it's as simple as having dedicated shoes and dedicated clothes when you, when you work with chickens. So, so only having that will reduce the, 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 the incidence of these diseases, including viral and Newcastle disease virus. When you were talking about delivery of the vaccine, um, I didn't hear any type of delivery via their drinking uh, font, their waterer, or anything. I don't know, or if any has to be mixed with water. <laughs> um, but I guess uh, to educate folks as well, we've heard a lot of times if you're going to give any type of medication through the watering system or through the water font, that it would, it's recommended to use non-chlorinated water. Um, and that may not apply to this particular vaccine uh, based on the delivery methods, but um, I guess uh, for others that may, you know, we've had so several poultry professionals discuss that here, whether it be just antibiotic in their water or whatever other medicines you're giving or vaccines, if they require you to mix with water or add to the waterer, um, I think overall it's, it's recommended to use non-chlorinated um, water um, for those. Uh, I guess you would uh, agree with that? Yes, so vaccines are highly sensitive to chlorine. Uh, so, so whenever you have to reconstitute the vaccine, 
uh, I usually recommend to buy uh, mineral water or bottled water and use that bottled water uh, in order to reconstitute it. I don't talk about uh, vaccines delivered via uh, drinking water because that's a highly inefficient method. Uh, the, the, the reason is that uh, in order for them to be well vaccinated, they need to drink a certain amount of, of, of volume, and that will depend on the level of thirst that they have. So uh, it, it's, it's highly, um, um, it, it's very difficult that they will be vaccinated appropriately uh, through drinking water, and that's why we don't recommend it. Gotcha. Um, two questions are kind of related here. Um, they were asking, is the current vaccine that's available uh, applicable to other poultry than chickens? So we'll just say ducks and turkeys or, or whatever other type of fowl they may have. But also, are, are exotic birds being um, uh, also included in the recommendation for, say, vaccination? So is, is this uh, vaccine, uh, we'll just keeping it simple, chickens and ducks both, uh, and also exotic birds, say a macaw or an African gray or a cockatiel, cockatoo, whatever the case, you know, they're, they're more exotic birds they may have, say, inside the house or even on a porch. I've heard that mentioned sometimes. So, again, I'm, so uh, when we talk about vaccines, I'm focusing only on Southern California. I, I, right. I wouldn't like to make the, the or give the statement that you guys uh, need to vaccinate all poultry in the in the U.S. because that's, that's right. not it, it's really uh, not a good idea. Uh, so in Southern California, if you have a mixed population of birds, uh, you usually want to vaccinate them all. If you are close to the to the areas where you have uh, 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 there's a risk of of, get, of 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 getting Newcastle disease virus, yes. Okay, um, let's let, let's talk about that. So, I mean, obviously out here, I'm I'm on the East Coast, totally opposite side of the country yeah. in Georgia, um, and I've heard that plenty of times. Probably, really, at this point, no need for me to if I have a flock of 100 or 200 here. But let's let's talk because I know we have a lot of listeners talking about uh, from California right now because of the um, out, outbreak. <clears throat> so, um, what um, uh, you said, you're talking about. Probably if you're not in the outbreak area, I think it's recommended not to vaccinate if, if you are, or you're in a quarantine area, to, to vaccinate. Explain to some of our folks why that that may be the case. Then we'll, that'll lead us into some of the things like, well, I've heard if we vaccinate, then they'll shed this or they'll test positive. We know the lab can differentiate between the two um, types, um, but also that um, and I got another question, for example, like a vaccinating during an outbreak is not encouraged because it can hide the virus from the state. Won't the vaccinated poultry be the same thing, say, in future outbreaks? So depending on, you know, that, that's another kind of whether I vaccinate during an outbreak or not during an outbreak or, or the results kind of the same eventually if there ends up being an outbreak. And we can get all those kind of specifics a little bit later. But what uh, if we can differentiate between, let's say, we're in northern California maybe <laughs> right now, and maybe it's not uh, warranted or recommended to vaccinate for uh, the Newcastle disease. But if you're in Southern California, Riverside, L.A., in that area, and, and maybe even in those quarantine zones, then we would recommend to, to vaccinate. If you'll let's first start off with that, why, why the differentiation between the two? So our statement or our position in, in, the, in UC Davis, the School of Veterinary Medicine, is to recommend vaccination only in Southern California. 
particularly because of this uh, this effect of population immunity. And 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 I'll explain it again. So when you have uh, uh, antibodies in this case or an immune response in the in the population of chickens, you reduce the shedding of the virus, the infective virus, which is the, the, the virulent virus, the one that is causing mortality and disease. And then in, in zones where, or in, in, uh, in, in uh, flocks that have uh, low biosecurity, like all our bagger flocks, uh, you'll have, uh, if you have less shedding, you have less dissemination. So from a small outbreak, uh, you, can con you, can, you can control it uh, uh, much quicker if you're vaccinating and you have a population immunity. Now, in the case of Northern California, which is where, where our school is based, we don't recommend vaccination. And the reason is that uh, since this vaccine is so, it's not that difficult to apply, but it's, it's a hassle in terms of, of uh, reconstituting, applying it and applying it correctly, and, we, and you don't need that population immunity, uh, there's no sense of, of applying the vaccine and, and, and maybe uh, inducing some other kind of problems. So with these live vaccines, as I said before, these are viruses that are alive. So even though they're, they're attenuated or they're uh, uh, selected for being non-pathogenic, they can produce a, a small disease, which can be, could uh, end up in sneezing, in coughing, in, in decrease of egg production. Nothing like the mortality and the, and, and the severe uh, consequences of, of a velogenic Newcastle disease virus. But at the same time, if you don't need it, why to apply it, you know? That would be the recommendation for other zones of the of the United States. There's right, no right. need of applying it because of that that that, that explanation that I gave before. Now, uh, in if you and this is related with everything that it's that that, that uh, I mean the, with the information that is out there. Uh, some people claims that when you vaccinate, you're masking uh, the the disease, the virulent disease, the virulent Newcastle disease virus. Well, that's actually right. not right. So. So uh, uh, what happens is that um, if you have the vaccine uh, and, and you apply the vaccine and there's immunity against, against this virus because of both viruses, the virulent and the non-virulent being from the same type, you'll be providing protection against the virulent virus. So uh, because of this vaccine not being 100% effective or, 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 or um, and because of the way in which we apply it, and because we can make mistakes, or basically because of the of we, if we have poor management and poor biosecurity, uh, the 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 virus can uh, the virulent virus can produce the disease. It won't produce mortality, but but there will be some minor clinical signs. So uh, whenever that happens, and we want it to be that way, because whenever that happens, we can test it and we can differentiate between uh, the vaccine. Uh, or the, the virus that is causing the problem, the virulent Newcastle disease virus. Our laboratories are able to differentiate between one or the other, so, so that will keep uh, us alert of uh, dissemination of the virulent Newcastle disease virus. Um, I, I think... I think I covered all your questions. I don't know if, I, if there's one. I think that I so. Yep, exactly. I'm going down the list here and uh, seeing if we have some more. It's about 25 past the hour, which tells me I need to go to a commercial break. So if you'll stay with us here for a few minutes, we'll go to commercial break. Uh, we'll give our listeners a time to catch up with their notes, but there'll be more when we come back. If you're just tuning in, where this topic is a really an in-depth look of the virulent Newcastle disease and vaccination. And our guest today is Dr. Rodrigo uh, Gallardo. 
um, Dr. Poultry, a veterinarian and a PhD and a virologist at UC Davis, and we will return after this short break. Please stay with us. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us.
Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kambach Feeds. Um, let's, you've mentioned biosecurity a lot, and most poultry professionals we have on the show um, emphasize that a ton. Uh, as the national spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Biosecurity for Birds program, I'm a firm believer in biosecurity as well. It's a lot easier, I think, to prevent disease than, than, than I guess, treat it and, and try to get uh, um, get rid of that, I guess, if you will. So let's talk a little bit about that. And, and, and one of the questions that out in California we see a lot of people saying is um, <coughs> they're coming around, they're all concerned about, you know, our, our backyard chickens or our backyard ducks or my neighborhood or this neighborhood. But um, then I look up into the sky and there's there's pigeons, there's all these other birds that are flying around and possibly spreading the, the, the disease as well. It's, it's almost like are we really you know, really, uh, is this really working to kill you know, my or depopulate, I guess, you know, my birds in my backyard that are pets? And I look up and here are all the wild birds flying around. And we'll segue that into other ways the disease can can spread. Obviously, humans is a big one. Um, tracking this to the feed store, you know, moving birds and not wearing, you know, biosecurity ear methods. But we can talk about also other vectors of disease, like possibly rodents and wild birds. And um, if, if wild birds is a risk, um, why – someone was asking, why don't we see it uh, in the next state or, or in the next state over here? Why does it seem to be spreading if, if these wild birds um, uh, or, or, or have the opportunity to spread that? So let's talk a little bit about biosecurity, mainly uh, the wild bird issue, if there's anything that can be done with that. Are they a vector for disease as uh, as much as, say, humans or even uh, uh, rodent, rodent control, for example? Uh, yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, in terms of biosecurity, and I mentioned this before, we've done some studies in which uh, we uh, <clears throat> there's a link between poor biosecurity measured mainly as non-using dedicated shoes or clothes with the presence of these diseases. So uh, when when we talk about uh, transport or, or uh, other wild birds, rodents, or, or insects, uh, this virus, uh, this is not even influenza, uh, but but at the same time, this Newcastle disease virus can infect uh, other uh, wide range of of, uh, of of birds of bird species. Now, uh, this velogenic Newcastle disease is uh, adapted a lot to chicken, so the transport of this disease by other wild birds or wild birds, insects or rodents, is is mainly mechanical. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and 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 because of that, we need to make sure that we have a, a way in in which we're controlling rodents, or we are uh, uh, we have our own biosecurity protocols, such as using dedicated shoes or clothes. Because uh, when our birds are infected, they disseminate this or they shed this virus, and then the uh, most of the 
of the of the ways in which this virus is, is, is distributed is by us walking and stepping on top of poop and then spreading the disease, uh, the, the, the virus all over. Um, yeah. Okay, excellent. This this next question, I just saw it on an email that I had sent you with with a list of questions we were gathering. And and it doesn't matter if every year when the CDC comes out and and shares their information about the salmonella outbreak related to backyard poultry slash miller hatcheries, or if it's uh, we're talking about low path or high path avian. Whenever we do shows on any of these diseases, um, we'll have a select few of folks will say, well, I just don't understand why we can't. Um, let's say my backyard flock does get this virulent strain, and let's say I lose 90%, but lo and behold, 10% make it. Um, now, guess what? They should be immune to this, or maybe I can start breeding birds from these birds that survived, and then I can have a strain of birds that are, are, are um, immune to this disease. So, and, and, and I, you know, you kind of see the road they're going down. You know, kids are playing the dirt or less, you know, susceptible to this, that, or the other, or we're just such a clean society with all this hand sanitizer that we're more susceptible. And if we could just get sick more often, <laughs> we would be a healthier population. So you can see where I'm going with this, and, and with and I don't know if it's been asked on on past shows about Newcastle disease, but maybe you can address that, especially in your position where you know if if, if 10 or 20 percent of mine end up surviving, well then you know hallelujah they're now immune to this, and I won't have to worry about it ever again. Can you touch on kind of everything I've just kind of discussed about that theory of hey now they're they've got it, we're good to go. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, I mean, hopefully it would work like that, isn't it? But but it, <laughs> but it really, yeah. But it really doesn't work like that. And the reason is that some of these viruses are able to hang around the intestines uh, for a longer period of time. And and uh, and uh, there's um, there's studies mentioning that that chickens can can shed these viruses for a long period of time, uh, more than 30 days. So so. Uh, Specifically, the velogenic versions of Newcastle disease virus have the capability of replicating everywhere in the in the chicken, including the lymphoid organs, and uh, which are the, the the organs that induce immune responses. So, so there's a chance that uh, those survivors will be able to uh, disseminate the disease for long periods of time, and that's why we don't want them hanging around, unfortunately. Right. Uh, exactly. Let me get back over here and see if there was any. Uh, I want to make sure I get all the questions answered. I just talked to somebody online uh, that said that they were they were listening live, and I told them I said, you "Please let me know if there was anything um, that I'm missing that I want to make sure that I um, uh, that I cover all this." So those of you who are listening, just bear with me because I don't want to miss anything in today's show since we have the opportunity of t of talking with with the doctor. Um, let's see. I think we've covered most all of these. And please, uh, if you have any information that you wanted to convey, of course, during the show that I haven't covered yet, you can you can definitely uh, will do that. You can see where. Yeah. <laughs> and go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Doc. Yeah, I would like to to um, um, share with with your audience uh, some uh, interesting websites and 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 and, uh, and, and pages. So we. We have our own website. I mean, it's, it's directed by Dr. Piteski. Uh, it's the Poultry UC Davis uh, website. There's information about Newcastle disease, but there's also information about biosecurity, good management, nutrition, and also contact to different faculty uh, or, or, or people that it's, uh, that, that it's uh, known by expertise in certain topics in poultry. So if you Google it as Poultry UC Davis, you'll get that website. Uh, then uh, 
the School of Veterinary Medicine here at UC Davis. Uh, we have a Facebook page and we have a Twitter account. We've been tweeting and, and sending Facebook uh, posts, uh, hope, hopefully trying to uh, reach out people in Southern California with information about the disease, uh, uh, not only in English, also in Spanish and in Tagalog. So we're trying to reach out to these communities in order to provide them with good information and practical information. And uh, if you guys know about anybody or if you guys are hearing from Southern California, please join uh, the Facebook and the Twitter accounts from UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. And also uh, the APHIS and USDA and CDFA websites have uh, good information about uh, the disease, about uh, uh, how to prevent it, and, uh, and, 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 and about the disease itself. So I would encourage uh, all the people to go to websites that are reputable, don't get your, your information from uh, sources that are not uh, trusted. That's a fabulous, uh, fabulous information right there. We, we, we've stressed that uh, a whole bunch. Um, I looked through this, this, this first set of emails I sent you. I'm going to go back and look at the pages uh, on the Facebook and see if there's any questions we haven't, but I'll, I'll talk about this. What would you say to somebody? And, and I, I personally think this is a valid, um, I guess, concern or comment uh, I addressed this with Dr. Teske when he was on and it, it's somebody that says you know what I've, I've tried to take all this in I, I do want to do the right thing but but they, they'll look at it like this they'll say okay I have a flock of we'll just say 15 chickens in my backyard and I, I try to do we're not all perfect I try to do the best biosecurity that I can do um, and my flock all of a sudden, I start having lots of death in my flock, and, and I just at this point assume I have or my birds have the virulent strain of, of Newcastle disease. If, And they'll look at it like this. If I do what people are telling me to do and I call in and report my sick birds and they come out <clears throat> and it ends up being virulent Newcastle disease, well, I pretty much by doing the right thing here kind of – granted a uh, a depopulation to a certain area around my home and so I've got friends I know that have birds and it'll probably mean an automatic depopulation for them and who knows how many other chickens around me <coughs> some of mine may survive some may not um and but if I just if I don't call if I don't do anything and let's say all my birds die and I just dispose of them and don't say anything then maybe there's a chance, maybe, because they may, they're not experts in the disease. It spreads nowhere. It was just here. I, I, you know, I depopulated myself, or maybe they all died from, from this disease. But I, in, in their mind, they're thinking, I just saved a lot of birds around me because if I were reported, then now we've got a new uh, kill zone or red zone or hot zone, whatever they're calling it. And then I know that so many birds within that area of mine are going to be um, depopulated, or maybe again they have what we just discussed. I have t four or five that survived, and so they'll get that theory that oh, thank goodness they're, they're they must be now immune. So <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of them are looking at it like well, you know they're they're taking this. They're just I don't know. They don't want to be happy about anything. They look at the negatives and say, well, if I vaccinate, it's not going to prevent them from getting this, and if I vaccinate, they can still shed it, and if I vaccinate, they can still test positive, even though the lab differentiate between the two strains or, or types 
And then if I do call in and it is this disease, you know, then, then I just <laughs> kind of a, made a death wish on all my friends' chickens around me. So maybe I'll just keep my mouth shut and, and, and it won't spread, and, and, then, and then maybe I saved a lot of my friends' birds' lives. I have heard that so many times, that theory. Um, and, and you can see, I guess, in, in a real-world way how some people may have that <coughs> theory. So what, what would you say to those folks in that particular situation uh, based on all of those um, uh, suggestions that they may have made? Because I've heard this exact, uh, um, I don't know, theory before several times on some of the pages. Yeah, so this is a very controversial topic. Uh, sure. <clears throat> so I would, I would like to first go back to something that I've repeated a couple of times, and, and probably it's, it's my, my message today. Sure. So uh, related to vaccination. So you vaccinate, and then of course, if you get infected, you'll, you'll shed, and, and, and of course, uh, uh, it, it's highly probable that your chickens will get uh, will get the disease sometimes. But but the, the the main point here with the vaccination is doing good to the community. Like as right. as you were talking about the the, the 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 when you call CDFA or the or, or the or the hotline, they'll go and depopulate. This is about uh, eliminating a foreign animal disease. It's not about uh, uh, saving your birds or the birds of, of, of your neighbors. The, the vaccine is able to reduce shedding in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a great amount of virus. And, and here's the example. When your chickens are not vaccinated, they can shed up to a million, uh, 100 million particles. Now, when you vaccinate, the amounts that you will be shedding are only in the 100. So from 100 million to 100, there's a huge difference. A huge oh, okay. difference of virus that you will that you will track with your shoes if you if 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 you move from one place to the other, or that uh, mice, as we discussed before, or other birds will track if they go from one place to the other. So so that means that there will be uh, probably thousands of chickens that won't get infected. The same with mm -hmm. the population. Like if you go and and there was a detected positive, and you depopulate that premise there's a reduction of the shedding and actually the virus will die off in the place. That's why we're so, uh, we're so admin and we, we repeat all the time that, that you don't have to move birds because moving birds means moving virus. And, and especially if those birds are not vaccinated. Okay. Now, uh, to answer your question, uh, right now, uh, the strategy, as you, as you uh, mentioned before, we haven't been able we haven't detected positive flocks for a period of more than two weeks right now okay that means that that uh, the strategy has changed a little bit so from from uh, depopulation we're shifting to a strategy that is surveillance basically doing diagnostics in order to know if the virus is still alive in certain places of course if we detect the virus uh, we uh, we we will have to depopulate because we want eradication but uh, but, but we will focus mostly uh, on, on, on doing testing and diagnostics rather than depopulating without reason. And then the other thing is, is, is that, that nobody has to move birds, particularly if they're not vaccinated, because we want this virus to die in the environment. We're going into the summer season. <clears throat> this virus is highly uh, uh, labile. It dies really quick if, if it's exposed to sun if we clean and disinfect, so that's what we're expecting. Uh, we we want to do more diagnostics. We want to uh, try to find the virus. Hopefully, we don't find it. 
but at the same time we wanted to die in the environment uh, because uh, taking advantage of the of the of the dry and and uh, and hot season i'm going to ask this question and 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 i saw it listed and, and some people kind of joked about it but but this person had a legitimate question when you were talking about that we're getting into the hot summer months it's hard for the virus to survive and their question i thought was legitimate for for again a lot of folks that are just may not know their question was okay so it's getting hot it's tougher for this virus to to survive does that mean it's tougher for to survive outside of the host say the chicken or just the hot temperatures can also help the virus within that chicken that has that is infected with this or as a carrier or is this just the hot temperatures reduce the spread due to the virus outside of the host say the, the chicken itself yeah, so that I mean, I don't think it's a it's a poor question. I mean, I I, I always tell my students that that the, the 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 stupid questions are the ones that are not asked, isn't it? Right. So right, yeah. So, I was uh, explaining that to her as well. She she's kind of embarrassed when she asked it, um, but I think it was a very valid question because you often yeah, hear. Yeah, very valid. Oh, the, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so so in in from the experience that we've gathered gathered in Africa and in Central America we know that Newcastle disease virus uh, gets uh, um, gets more activity or gets more active whenever there's changes of temperature and and changes of weather so we know that we have outbreaks after a change from dry to wet season and we have outbreaks uh, from a change from dry to wet season the same happens here so, so since we're changing our 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 weather from uh, from uh, wet from from winter basically to summer, uh, uh, we think that the that 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 the virus will die off because of the of the of the summer basically. So uh, that happens because this virus is an envelope virus. It has a, a, a it, it is surrounded by an by an envelope, and basically that makes it really sensitive to temperature, to uh, disinfectants, to soap. Etc. It doesn't happen the same inside the chicken because the chicken is able to uh, uh, thermoregulate, so it's able to keep its temperature always in 41 degrees Celsius. Uh, so, so no matter what the environment would be, uh, there's a range in which the chicken temperature will move. So, so that virus will be protected by the cells itself and will be replicating at all times. Uh, it could be detrimental to the chicken if the chicken uh, uh, gets uh, hyper uh, hyperthermia, so it gets more than the temperature that that needs to needs to have. But then at the same time, you're exposing your uh, you, you can kill that chicken because of exposing it to high temperatures. Okay. Awesome. We've got I've got maybe three more questions here, and then um, we'll go to commercial break. We'll let you kind of gather your thoughts, and when we come back after the next commercial break, we'll we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Um, and I have got a question before I forget it off the top of my brain because I can look at these questions here on the computer screen. And that is um, once this, uh, whether it be two weeks from now, three months from now, four months from now, when the quarantines are lifted and, and maybe I guess it would be the state uh, state vet's role to actually say um, – <clears throat> Uh, okay, we we we're this outbreak is over. We're moving on. Now we're going to kind of talk about what we can do to prevent this from happening happening again. <coughs> Pardon me. Do you foresee once this this current outbreak is is deemed over and we move forward to try to again educate more on biosecurity and things? Do you think that 
um, vaccination will be become more prevalent and more suggested. Even though, and, and, and that kind of leads to my other question, um, which I, I guess I have a, a little bit of misunderstanding about. So again, we'll, we'll separate it. First question is: once this is over and we're past it, and we look forward to, uh, you know, how to prevent this biosecurity education um, and do you think there's going to be a more of a push now for uh, for vaccination once this outbreak is over or do you think it's going to go back to well not not so much and, and I guess that's my next question for you to, to move forward a little bit there is that uh, I guess and, and I saw it here so on, 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 on this page and I was like I kind of have that question too where whether we vaccinate during an outbreak and I'm in an outbreak zone or not, and you may have explained this earlier and I just may not have caught it, or say I'm in Northern California and don't, it, it, I guess if my birds eventually get the virulent strain, what, what, and I apologize if you explained this earlier, what, what difference does it make? And I saw that kind of written and in, in form here. So first is, once this is all over, do you think there'll be more of a push for vaccination, even though the outbreak is over and we become clean again? Or, and then two, at the end of the day, really, um, whether I'm in an outbreak or not, Northern or Southern California, if, if I do vaccinate, uh, the outcome ends up kind of being this the same. So I'll just kind of hand that over to you and uh, and yeah. let you roll with those two things, <laughs> and then I'll get to the ones that are posted. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's go with the first one first. So, uh, Constant, um, I mean, you, you, you were mentioning about uh, vaccination. So uh, what happens when the outbreak disappears uh, or we're, if we're able to eradicate the disease? So uh, there are certain areas, in, not only in the U.S., but also uh, in, the, in, in the world that are endemic to Newcastle disease virus, and, and those areas are areas in which uh, the vaccine is used, okay? Uh, we need to use it appropriately, and we need to use it uh, how it's supposed to be in order to uh, produce uh, protection. Now, uh, here in the U.S., we're free from Newcastle disease virus, fortunately, but there's areas that are at more risk. And the reason of, of, of the risk could be uh, 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 variable. I mean, there's, there's certain complexities and certain uh, uh, particularities in Southern California that makes these outbreaks recurrent. We had an outbreak in 2002, now we have an outbreak in 2019, so 1819. So, so uh, for Southern California, it makes total sense to have a population immunity that mm -hmm. will uh, be another barrier in order to protect these chickens against Newcastle disease virus introductions. So, so uh, but then that doesn't come uh, uh, by itself. So basically what needs to be done and what we're working with uh, the, the, the state in this case is to uh, have a constant outreach to a certain uh, 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 flock owners that um, that 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 uh, need uh, uh, more attention and more uh, uh, education, and then secondly, in order to basically explain them the basics: management, biosecurity, nutrition, uh, immunity, vaccination. Uh, uh, don't move your birds, basically, and then uh, and then uh, of course there's other places such as Northern California and the other states of the U.S. in which the risk are the risks are lower. Right. In which, of course, outreach is, is, the, is the prime. You know, you have to go with education to everybody in order to do things right. But vaccination doesn't make sense, particularly because, as we mentioned before, the vaccine is, is, is not, uh, I mean, even though it's not difficult to apply, it's not the most easiest thing to do. 
where you're playing with the live virus in which you can also, uh, you know, uh, cause issues. So, so basically it doesn't make sense to apply it there, but it does make sense in places where there's been recurrent outbreaks of the disease. So that's for the first one. And then the second one, uh, well, I think I covered the second one also. So, yeah, I think you uh, covered both of them. Yeah, I think you hot, did cover both of them. Yeah, so these hot zones, uh, which are would be, for example, Southern California, in which we have recurrent outbreaks. So there was one in 2002, there's one in 2018-19, uh, are are places in which you need to go there and have a uh, have a uh, an action plan, uh, basically with lots of constant outreach and target that outreach to the to the communities that need more that outreach. And we're working here in UC Davis uh, with Dr. Piteski on that, doing research in order to understand the communities and understand uh, why the virus stays there uh, or or why why we have recurrent outbreaks, not stays there, but just why we have recurrent outbreaks and how to reach out to these populations in a better way. So, so there's understanding on the things that needs to be done. Okay. I've got two questions. I'm going to go to commercial break, and we'll come back. We'll let you give us uh, some final thoughts. Um, Deborah was asking here on, on this group, um, clothes, tires, shoes, we're going into the hot summer months. You, you probably have the answer to this on, as with all of your science you've done with, with the disease. She's wanting to know how long does the virus last on on these to really worry as we say wash our shoes and have foot baths or wash our clothes every single day so really her question is how long out you know can this virus last outside the hose clothes tires and shoes <clears throat> and then i'll follow it up with the second one um should misters um within coops be avoided due to moisture with the virulent newcastle disease currently in the environment misting systems are popular especially um in, in warmer areas it's getting hot people may set up misters to keep their chickens cool um should those be avoided if you're in the outbreak area and then of course about how long does it last say on clothes the virus clothes tires shoes and and, and whatnot Okay, so the first one, how long the virus persists? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't think we know from facts. We've done research here on avian influenza, which is a fairly different virus, but it's all, it, all, it's also, it also is a virus that has an envelope. So uh, we always, and, and part of the problem is that we always know how long it persists based on uh, experiments that have been done in a laboratory. And in a laboratory, of course, if you mix the virus with a disinfectant, the virus dies pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, so that's not the same as in, 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 the, in the environment. So what we've done with avian influenza, we've uh, contaminated bedding material, and we've seen how long the virus persists without the chicken, basically. So the more organic material that you have, meaning uh, uh, feather dust, feathers, uh, 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 chicken poop, uh, or, or, uh, or other things that are related with chickens, uh, the virus will persist more. And that can be, in absence of chickens, it can be um, even close to 10 days. Now, that's why it's so important to, whenever there's depopulation in these in this events of foreign animal diseases, to keep uh, a quarantine, to avoid the movement of, of objects and, and, and materials uh, outside of the premises that had chickens that were positive because you'll be also moving the virus. Uh, and then to clean and disinfect in order to reduce the amount of virus that is in the premises. So I would, I would consider, I would consider a, a, a 10-day period in which the virus will persist. Now, 
uh, and and even longer, you know, because if you if you have more uh, organic material or if you don't do pro proper management, the virus can persist there. Uh, in terms of misters, uh, well, it goes back to what I mentioned before with organic material. Like organic, if you have a lot of organic material and you're adding water, it might be a better uh, uh, media for the virus, but but not necessarily. I mean, if we have if we have places that are extremely hot, I mean that water don't even uh, get into the in, in, into the soil. So, so I would I wouldn't worry much about the mixers. I would worry more about management uh, in general. Okay, great. I'm going to go to uh, our second and final commercial break. Um, I'll put you on hold. Uh, I'll let you kind of gather your, your final thoughts when we come back. Uh, please share anything that I may not have touched on that may have been obvious or that you wanted to make sure you uh, relayed uh, to uh, our listening audience. And folks, stay with us. Hope you're finding um, value in the show. Hope you're taking lots of notes. And we will be back right after this short break. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Strombergs should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com wanted to uh, let everybody know uh, about two products that I wanted to share with you since we're going down kind of our commercial list here. One is a product called Chick Fresh. If you were brooding baby chicks this past spring, then you know how dusty those baby chicks can be, and you know how stinky those baby chicks can be. And of course, unfortunately, <laughs> um, folks, even though it's not recommended, will have these brooders inside their house, whether it be in a spare uh, guest bathroom or a spare bedroom or maybe in a sunroom or, or a screened-in area. And, uh, 
and you know how dusty. I, I oftentimes hear folks talk about how the, they had it in the garage and their husband was, was getting very angry because the dust was getting all over their vehicles and it was more work for him because he had to wash them on a more regular basis. But hey, you want to head over to Amazon and check out Chick Fresh. Just type in Chick Fresh Odor Control. Not only does it help eliminate odor from your brooders and the dust from your brooders, but actually just wait till you try it in your coop. We tried this product for several months before it went to market. Very few things become a staple here on the farm. After we try them and, and test them out, we have the Chick Fresh hanging in our coops right now. If you come to visit, you have to go through good biosecurity, <laughs> but you'll see it hanging um, in our coops. The other product I want to tell you about is Chicken Delight. Um, we tested this product for uh, about a year, maybe even over a year before it came to market. One thing I like about Chicken Delight is who developed it. Scientists that work for Phytobiotics, which is a global um, supplement company for uh, animals, and they do a lot of supplements for the big commercial uh, poultry. And so that was the first thing I really liked. It wasn't just developed by a, a chicken blogger, this person or that person, or just, hey, let's put something together. Scientists, that uh, their expertise is uh, animal supplementation. So it was uh, it's a great product. Again, just today I was out. It's hot right now in the southeastern United States, and that can stress out your birds, your layers, your broilers. And uh, so we definitely use this product when it gets super, super hot here in the southeast. I just actually added it to their water for my layers uh, today. You can find it also on Amazon. Uh, that is Chicken Delight. <clears throat> so thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the uh, Chicken Whisper. Our special guest today, of course, Dr. Rodrigo Gallarado, and he's a, a poultry veterinarian and a PhD a viral, a virologist at UC Davis, and we're talking about an in-depth look at virulent Newcastle disease. I'm going to bring him back on here, and uh, really... Um, any last thoughts or kind of wrap up, maybe something that I just didn't touch on uh, today that you wanted to really convey to, to our listeners before we let you go? Yeah, I think the, the, the key message uh, for today's conversation is that, that uh, vaccination with uh, uh, depopulation is the only way to eradicate a disease uh, in, in, in the case of Newcastle disease virus. So having population immunity, uh, it's really important in order to reduce the shedding and, and as I mentioned before, it's so striking that from uh, 100 million particles, you can go down to 100 particles. That that uh, that reduces a lot the dissemination, and that actually uh, limits the, the spread of the disease. The other thing that I wanted to <clears throat> emphasize on is uh, the places where you get your information are really crucial, are really important. So please uh, get information, uh, accurate information from uh, websites, and 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 we have. Uh, a good website, and we have a good Facebook and Twitter account uh, for you guys to follow uh, from the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. And then uh, the last thing is that uh, it's uh, fortunately uh, due to uh, uh, the, the the bigger flock owners or the or the small flock owners, uh, we're shifting uh, the strategy from depopulation to surveillance. So uh, we'll be doing more and more diagnostics rather than than, than euthanasia. Uh, and this is due mainly to the commitment of the owners. And also, uh, please remember not to move birds uh, right now, uh, especially in Southern California. Uh, we need to let this virus die in the environment. I mean, we're going to the summer season, and hopefully we can limit and eradicate this disease. 
Yes, let's let's hope so. No new cases in in the last couple of weeks, which is fantastic, and um, and I'm glad you stressed that we're we're kind of moving gears and getting into more, uh, not necessarily depopulation, but surveillance, which is uh, I know a lot of people will be will be happy with, and they're they're all focusing on okay, uh, you know, hopefully this will continue, and hopefully we'll get um, this lifted, and, and definitely at the end of the day eradicated from uh from california that would be uh that would be wonderful we're all we're all keeping our fingers crossed with that thank you doc for all the hard work that you're doing uh both in just you know educating uh, the, the masses on kind of what to do what not to do and why uh, your suggestions make sense but also all of your research in these so we can all uh, learn about the disease a little bit better and do what we can um, to try to keep it from, you know, coming back into to the country. And then, of course, once it's here, trying to get it eradicated as soon as possible. And, of course, finally, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate your time. Uh, we value your time for coming on today and sharing your expertise with all of our listeners. Thank you so much. And maybe we'll have you on again in the future. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, thank you so much. Um, Alrighty, folks, hopefully you enjoyed today's show. Hopefully I asked all the right questions. Uh, As always, when the show ends, I'll be like, oh, I should have asked that, or oh, we should have asked this. But uh, hey, you know what? We we have about an hour time, and uh, I try to reach out to a lot of the groups that are out there, plus emails, uh, and try to ask as many questions as I could, because these are questions you have. Uh, And then, of course, I added a few of mine as well in there as they come up during the show. So um, thank you very much for you participating in this show as well, our listeners and fans and followers by posting your questions um, uh, for the doctor today, and we do appreciate that. I want to remind everybody one last time that you can get science-based, fact-based, study-based information from experts in their field, poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, poultry nutritionists at Chicken Whisperer Magazine. You can subscribe to the totally free, this is not bait and switch, this is not, oh, later you'll have to pay, totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Just go over to chickenwhisperermagazine.com and you can subscribe and you can look at every single issue we've had for the last five years, including the most current issue, uh, if today's topic uh, was important to you, the summer edition of 2019, where we had a great article by Dr. Pateski, um, epidemiologist and poultry vet at um, UC Davis about virulent Newcastle disease itself, and then a fabulous article about the response uh, and why the response is what it is out in California by um, poultry scientist Dr. McCray and uh, colleagues there at Auburn University. So you can take a look at that, chickenwhispermagazine.com. So, uh, hey, with that, I am going to go ahead and say thank you so much for tuning in. We try to broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Blog Talk Radio. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.